Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays on a glorious second Wednesday of August and about one week into preseason camp for the Buckeyes as Ohio State opened up its preseason camp last Thursday. As of today, Wednesday, Ohio State holding its sixth practice of the preseason. And Griffin, we've had the opportunity to watch a little bit of the first two practices of the year on Thursday and Friday. There's also been a bunch of interview sessions. Ryan Day met with the media on Thursday. Tony Offord and his running backs met with the media on Friday. Offensive lineman and Justin Fry met with the media on Monday. And Jim Knowles and his linebackers met with the media on Tuesday. So a lot for us to learn over the past week. A lot for us to talk about. Griffin, out of you know, all all the trips we've made to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center over the past week, is there anything from a week that really jumped out at you? Well, Dan, I think you know, talking to Jim Knowles is is, is always an insightful thing. Of course, he has he has such a you know a good understanding of what's going on with the Ohio State defense. Obviously, we've talked about it many times. There's a lot less questions on the Ohio State offense this season with you know a lot of the known commodities. Obviously, the, the same coaches for the most part, other than Justin Fry coming back. For Ohio State, you're, you're going to have Travion Henderson, you're going to have Jackson Smith and Jigba, you're going to have C.J. Stroud. That's why the defense is a lot more interesting going into this season, which is why you know my my ears are, are definitely perked up, and I think it's the same way with the fans too. If you see, if you look at kind of the views we get on Jim Knowles interviews and, and things like that that we put on YouTube, and uh, you know I, I think one of the most interesting things we've heard so far is is kind of Jim Knowles's concern about the the cornerback depth and maybe some some health concerns which is what he was talking about on Tuesday particularly notable i think because you know the, the what we had heard was that you know how state's pretty darn healthy coming into preseason camp a lot of guys that had missed some time in the spring were were coming back into action for the buckeyes with with Mitchell Melton of course who suffered that that torn ACL in the spring game being the only guy that that wasn't on the field to start preseason camp but i had actually seen Jordan Hancock, who was considered, you know, among those top three cornerbacks for Ohio State with Denzel Burke and Cam Brown this season, hobbled and, and maybe even some type of protective thing on his leg during Monday's practice. You know, we weren't supposed to be watching anything, but I just happened to see him walking around and I was like, oh, that's number seven in a white jersey. You know, I didn't report anything about that. But now that we heard Jim Knowles talking about that group and some of the issues, he he said that it's it's above his pay grade. As far as when Jordan Hancock will be back into practice for the Buckeyes, and Dan, if if you want to expound on this any further, you know he said that that some of those concerns about health and depth at the cornerback position are 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 going to be long term concerns for him. Yeah, I mean Hancock was out there on the practice field, you know, in uniform. So I, I don't think that we're talking about a major injury here. With Jordan Hancock, you know, there hasn't been any confirmation. Certainly, we will be back at practice on Thursday. Ryan Day will meet to media after that. So, you know, we could get more clarity on Jordan Hancock and his situation on Thursday. But, you know, I don't, I don't think we're talking about a major injury or something that's going to keep him out all year or anything like that. But I think the, the problem with anyone getting hurt in that cornerback room right now is that Ohio State only has six scholarship cornerbacks. You know, Ryan Day ran through the numbers, you know, I believe on signing day back in December of what he wants to have on his roster. And he said Ohio State typically wants to have eight scholarship cornerbacks. They only have six right now. And so when you're already two below the number, now all of a sudden you have 
even one guy hurt and and you start to worry about okay you know now we're starting to look a little bit dicey there and so Cam Martinez, Jansen Dunn were both cross-training at cornerback, according to Jim Knowles. I doubt he's going to actually play, but we it, probably probably the most shocking revelation of the past week to me was seeing Jake Seibert out there practicing at cornerback, which, again, I wouldn't read too much into that. I mean, I, I really don't think that the, the kicker being moved to the secondary is, is likely to play substantial snaps this year, but you know, maybe speaks just a little bit to the fact that, you know, I mean, I mean, they, they don't, they don't really need Jake Cyber to kick her right now. They got no ruggles, but maybe they do need another body in their corner because they are thinner at that position than they would like to be right now. And so, you know, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, Jordan Hancock, you know, dealing with an injury, you know, if it is something that's going to affect his availability for the start of the season, he, he was a guy who was probably going to be the number three cornerback behind Denzel Burke and Cam Brown. So now that puts more pressure on, you know, whether it's J.K. Johnson, who Jim Knowles was asked about him on Tuesday and whether he thought J.K. Johnson would be able to contribute this year. And, and Jim Knowles said it was, quote, too soon to tell. So that's not really a ringing endorsement there where, you know, it sounds like they probably have more they want to see from J.K. Johnson before they'll be ready to trust him to put him out there on the field against Notre Dame. And then behind them, you know, the only other scholarship guys you have are true freshmen. Jair Brown did lose his black stripe on Tuesday. So, you know, that's an encouraging sign for him that, you know, he's showing them something and maybe he's starting to, you know, push his way into that conversation to compete for a spot on the 2D. But the depth there, you know, isn't where they'd like it to be. I think, I think when Jim Knowles answer, answered long term, I think he meant that more in the sense of depth is going to be a long term concern rather than we've got guys who aren't going to play this year. I, I think it, he meant it more in terms of the sense that depth is going to be a lingering issue. And so, because they have at least one guy that we know of dealing with an injury right now, they, they've got to cross train some other guys and, and, and get them some snaps there. But, you know, I, I think when he's talking about a long-term issue, I think he means more specifically in terms of depth is something that could be a lingering issue all year. But certainly, you know, that comment raised my eyebrows too, because we're in that time of a year where everything is great and everything is positive. Like, Almost everything else we're going to talk about that we heard from preseason camp this week, it, it's mostly guys being talked up guys about how great they're doing. And so I think it always is more striking. It probably means more when you hear the coaches express concern about something in camp than when they're talking guys up. Because every, everybody says they're doing great in preseason camp, but when you hear a coach admit that they're concerned about something, there's probably something to that. And so I, I definitely, you know, when I hear a comment like that, I think, okay, you know, maybe, maybe there's an issue here, you know, at the same time, you know, I think, you know, if, if Denzel Burke and Cam Brown are healthy, they're the guys who are going to play the majority of snaps at cornerback. And so, you know, it's not like they're in a dire position here, but, you know, I, I think they, they are probably looking at it and going, okay, now, you know, we, we could be, an injury or two away from having a problem here. 
Yeah, for sure. And if there's any if there's any coach that might be a little more of a realist in terms of that stuff, I feel like Jim Knowles is probably that guy because he gives off a very, you know, pragmatic type of vibe and everything like that. But, you know, I'm sure and I've already we've already seen this on Twitter. Fans are going to be looking back at, you know, first of all, Ohio State's top cornerback commit for a while there in the in the class, Terrence Brooks, flipping to Texas on signing day. They're going to be looking back at that maybe, you know, after hearing these comments from Jim Knowles and thinking, oh, man. And also, of course, Eli Ricks, that that elongated saga that went on for a couple of years there, ending up at Alabama. Of course, there was that report that 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 Ohio State was was uninterested in bringing in Eli Ricks. Maybe it wasn't a, the perfect culture fit or something like that. And, you know, I think fans might be looking back at that situation and thinking, man, if we had Eli Ricks right now, then there might be you know less concerns and more depth at that cornerback position for sure. Yeah, Jim Knowles is probably my favorite assistant coach to talk to on this new staff because like you said, he is real and he's not afraid to like answer questions and like actually talk about the players, which I think is good because, you know, some, some of the coaches, they, you know, they, they're just more hesitant to, to single anybody out or, you know, maybe more hesitant to, to really, you know, give anything away. And obviously, you know, Jim Knowles is not telling us all the secrets about what, the defense is going to look like this year. And I know there's there's people who probably want to hear us break down the new defense. And, you know, the reality is, you know, they, they usher us out of practice before they really ever show anything on defense. And so, you know, I, I can't sit here and say that, you know, we, we've got all the secrets on the defense right now. But, you know, I do enjoy talking to Jim Knowles because I feel like we always learn stuff when we talk to him. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I'm even, even thinking about doing some kind of like X number of things we learned about the Ohio State defense from Jim Knowles to kind of, you know, wrap up some of the the loose ends there in terms of some things that Jim Knowles touched on. But of course, he is also the linebackers coach for the Buckeyes. And, you know, Dan, I, you wrote a piece about, you know, the, the first two names out of his mouth when discussing that linebacker group were Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, who who seem to have really solidified themselves as the two top guys in that unit, the two guys that in all likelihood are going to start the season as, you know, the top guys at the Mike and Will position for the Buckeyes. I don't think there's much of a surprise there. Obviously, we've heard a lot about Tommy Eichenberg this offseason, you know, much to the chagrin of maybe some fans for Ohio State, just, you know, because of the way some of those games went last year. But of course, he's coming off of his strongest performance as a Buckeye in that Rose Bowl with that 17 tackle game. I believe Jim Knowles said today's the kind of the the quiet leader of that defense. He rarely makes mistakes, I believe, was was a quote from Jim Knowles about Tommy Eichenberg. Also said Steel Chambers is perhaps the most confident linebacker. We got to talk to several of those guys today, Dan. What, what were some of your takeaways from, from hearing Jim Knowles talk about those guys and maybe some some interesting quotes that a few of the other, you know, the actual Ohio State linebackers, what they actually had to say on Tuesday? Yeah, I don't think it's surprising to hear that, you know, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are solidifying themselves as the top linebackers because that's kind of been the vibe all offseason long that, you know, the, those guys are going to lead them at that position group. I think, you know, what I was interested was to hear, you know, what we hear from Cody Simon today, what Jim Knowles would say about Cody Simon, because you figure, you know, he he's the guy that I feel like has kind of been the forgotten guy in that room because of the fact that he was out all spring, but you know, we didn't talk about him that much. And, you know, he's still a guy. I mean, he started 10 games for Ohio State last year. So you would think that he's going to have a role in the defense this year. When, when Jim Knowles talked about Cody Simon on Tuesday, 
he indicated that Cody's, you know, still getting up to speed because he wasn't able to practice this spring. You know, he's still working on kind of figuring out the timing of the defense. And, you know, Jim Knowles says that's a really important thing. And so it, it sounds like right now, like there's a gap between where Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are and where Cody Simon is. You know, I think if they were going to play Notre Dame right now, Tommy and Steele are probably going to be the guys getting the vast majority of snaps. Now there's still three and a half weeks until that game. So, you know, that could potentially change if Cody really gets up to speed or, you know, we mentioned some of the other guys, you know, Chip Trainum just lost his black stripe on Tuesday. And there's been a lot of people saying good things about him. You know, I, I multiple linebackers said on Tuesday that Chip Trainum's the fastest guy they have in their room. I mean, you just look at him like he just looks like absolutely built too. So, I mean, he he's a guy that just physically absolutely looks the part. He played running back at Arizona State for the last two years. So, you know, whether he's really ready to play a lot of snaps as a college linebacker, we'll see. But you know, he's he's a guy that looks the part and the way people are talking about him, you know, I I'm intrigued. You know, I don't I don't I don't know how much we'll see him in the Notre Dame game, but I am intrigued to see could he be a guy kind of like Steel Chambers last year where maybe his role steadily grows and grows over the course of a season and he ends up playing a big role by the end of the year. It feels like he could maybe be on that trajectory. And obviously some of that is going to depend on, you know, everybody saying great things about Steele and Tommy right now. Obviously they had up and down years last year. Can Steele and Tommy continue to solidify themselves once the actual games begin? If they do, you know, those guys will probably play most of the linebacker snaps all year. If, if not, then the door is going to be open for guys like Cody, Chip, Taraja Mitchell. You know, CJ Hicks is another guy that, you know, I look at as a wild card there. You know, when Jim Knowles talked about him on Tuesday, he said, you can really see the upside with CJ, but, you know, he's still kind of learning the defense. He's not, he's not to the point yet where he's able to play as fast as he's capable of physically. And so it sounds to me like, again, would I expect to see CJ Hicks play a lot in the Notre Dame game? Probably not. Could his role grow over the course of a season as he gets game experience and becomes more comfortable and really starts to get up to his potential? Now, that's certainly possible. So, I, you know, I, I've always thought that to be one of the most interesting groups to watch this offseason, and I still think it is. But, you know, I, I am right now, if nothing changes, I'd be very confident that we are going to see Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg as the starting linebackers in that Notre Dame game. What, what strikes me about the group as well, and this is another thing we've touched on previously, is just, you know, with, with the 4-2-5 base for Ohio State, it just, it really does feel like there's just so many names at linebacker, and you kind of wonder, you know, with some of these guys that, that may be expecting a certain role, you know, how, how are those guys going to get on the field? And, and I think, you know, especially with, with Jim Knowles talking about how with some of the experimentation they've been doing with, with Court Williams and Lathan Ransom, you know, maybe playing that that bandit position for Ohio State, talking about how those guys are going to potentially negate the 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 need to have that Sam linebacker on the field a lot, even though we had kind of previously touched on the fact that we may see a little bit more of that in, in certain packages, depending on if Ohio State's playing a, a more run-heavy attack. We talked about Wisconsin and what Wisconsin might bring to the table there. But I, I just think the way that that Sam position is kind of being talked about it doesn't make me feel particularly good about, you know, Taraja Mitchell saying he's been, he's seen more time at Sam recently, and and a guy like a Reed Carico or, or Apollier Nioteote 
a guy that's been in that role. You know, of course, Knowles was saying that he's kind of floated around from position to position. It, it leaves me wondering, you know, how much will those guys see the field, especially if, as you say, you know, Chambers and Eichenberg have kind of solidified themselves at the top of the, the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really easy this time of year to talk about all these guys getting different roles, but how many of these guys are actually, I mean, we're going to find out right away in that Notre Dame game. Like, we're going to find out right away who are the guys they really trust because they're not, they're not going to play guys in that game just to play them. They're going to play the guys that, you know, they they feel like they can really count on. And so, you know, I, I, think, it's inter- I think it's interesting because, I, I, you know, to me, I feel like, okay, Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, they're probably going to be the starting linebackers. Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor, Tanner McAllister, they're probably going to be the starting safeties. How much playing time is there really going to be available for everybody else? I mean, you're right. The way Jim Knowles talked on Tuesday, it almost sounded more likely that Court Williams or Lathan Ransom was going to have a sub-package role than another linebacker would. And so it's going to be really interesting. I mean, there's, there's a, those, there are a lot of bodies at those two positions. We talked about the lack of depth at corner. But at linebacker and safety, I feel like they're overflowing with depth. And that's you know probably why you see a Cam Martinez cross-training at corner, because a guy like Cam Martinez, you know, you know I mean, I, I would think he'd be the top backup to Tanner McAllister at nickel safety. But, you know, de- depending on how much they want to take Tanner off the field, there might not be that many opportunities, you know, for him to play. And, and so, you know, it, I, I, they've got a lot of pieces there. It's, you know, I I bet the good news is I think that's going to allow them to do a lot of different things if they want to do it. If they want to use a lot of different packages, I think they'll have that ability with all these guys that they have. But at the same time, Jim Knowles also has to ask the question of should we play all these guys just to play them? Or or is there a core group of guys that we really trust the most that we don't want to take those guys off the field? Dan, a couple of more general quotes that Jim Knowles had on Tuesday that I think a lot of fans are going to, you know, kind of look at as interesting ones here are, are, are first of all, you you actually asked Knowles where he's at in terms of the defensive installation, in terms of his scheme, because we've obviously heard so much about how multiple Jim Knowles' defense is, how complex the scheme is, you know, how how variable it is. And then he he throws this number, Dan. I think we we were probably all surprised at how low he went. Because he said that the Buckeyes have only installed about 25% of his defense, which with there being less than a month until the season opener against Notre Dame, that seems like a pretty low number, Dan. What, what was your your first reaction? Obviously, you asked him a follow-up right away to say, how are you going to make up the, the 75% you know, in the coming month? But what was your, your, your reaction when you heard him say that? Yeah, it was not the number I expected at all. I thought it was going to be like at least 75%. So when he said 25%, I'm like, what? Like, you know, now, granted, that could mean a lot of different things. That could mean a lot of different things. You know, I mean, we know Jim Knowles likes to do a lot of different things on defense. And so 25% of what he ultimately wants to do at Ohio State, that might be enough. That might be all they really need. Maybe they don't need all that other stuff. But when I hear that, but when I hear that number, I'm still I'm like, okay, like, that that does seem awfully low and you know the, the big concern that i think people have had about the jim Knowles defense is if you look at where he's been at other schools it's typically taken three to four years before his defenses really start to yield 
those elite results. And so when I hear something like 25%, I'm like, but it's funny because you hear that and yet you also hear him get asked about Ryan Day's expectation that Ohio State will have a top 10 defense. And he says, I wish we would have said top five. Roger Mitchell gets asked about it and he says we should be aiming for number one. So on one hand, we're talking about the season starts in three and a half weeks and we still have all this work to do. And then on the other hand, everybody in the program is saying we're going to have one of the best defenses in the country. And so how do those two things marry together? I mean, it's going to be very, very interesting to just see you know, how, how that all plays out because, you know, they're clearly, there's, there's clearly a, a confidence within the program right now about this defense is going to be a lot better than last year. I think for me on the outside looking in though, I'm a little bit more skeptical of this idea that they're going to have this elite defense this year. And when I hear a quote, like 25%, of the defenses installed, that makes me a little bit more skeptical. Yeah, Dan, I think it's kind of easier to brush off certain claims from, you know, uh, players or coaches when they're kind of like, yeah, we're trying to be the best, the best this in the country. You're kind of like, okay, yeah, like you're obviously shooting for that goal. It's not something you're, you're and they should be right, right, right. And so when when I hear like a Taraji Mitchell say, Hey, we want to be the top defense in the country. It's like, okay, that's fine. But then when you hear a guy like Jim Knowles or, or Ryan day, when they when they give you kind of these very specific parameters, like these specific expectations, like well, we want to literally rank top ten in the country, like that's how I'm how I'm taking it. You know, we literally want to be one of the top ten defenses and total defenses in the country by the end of the season. Then you hear Jim Knowles saying, "No, no, 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 we want to be a top five defense in the country." It's one of those things where where you're going to look at it at the end of the season, and if that didn't come to fruition. You know, you can you can almost see the memes now. If, we will if, be writing about it if they if they say this before the year, and then they're not that. I'm I guarantee that one of us will be writing something about how it it didn't become what it was expected to be. Because to me, I mean, I, I appreciate the confidence, I respect the boldness, and again, like that should be the expectation. Like. In terms of talent, if you're just talking about overall talent in terms of players that have been recruited, like, yeah, you should have a top 10 defense. But, for you know, to keep saying that over and over again, I mean, I don't know. If it, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what our expectations are. Ultimately, what matters is do they win games? I mean, ultimately, that's all that really matters. But, you know, they're creating this expectation that now I feel like we have to hold them to. Right. Like, I mean, you know, and I mean, I mean, people who listen to this podcast know, like, I'm, I'm typically the guy who tries to defend against what I consider to be unrealistic fan expectations when, you know, fans think the sky is falling because you lost one game or you missed out on one recruit. I try to be the guy who kind of pushes back against that. Hey, let's take a step back. Things are still pretty good here. You know, let's, you know, let's look at the big picture here. But when, again, when Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are the ones saying this, that we should have a top five, top 10 defense, then that's the expectation. And I think then that makes it then fair to then in January when the season is over to, to measure them up against that standard. And if not, then say, all right, Jim Knowles, you're making almost $2 million. 
Ryan Day, you're making, I don't remember the exact number, but you're a top five head coach now in terms of pay. Why didn't you have that top 10 defense? You know, that's, that's the expectation that they've created for themselves now. I, Ohio State fans will be very happy if it comes to fruition, but they've got to live with the weight of that expectation now. And it almost feels like it would be one thing, you know, if Ohio State wasn't truly going to be tested until halfway through the season or something in terms of their schedule. But the fact that, you know, the Buckeyes are playing Notre Dame, a potential top 10 opponent in the very first week of the season, it's like, oh, that test, that test is going to come pretty soon for those guys in terms of what we're talking about here with these expectations. Yeah, we're going to find out real quick if the defense is legit because, I mean, you know, Notre Dame, I mean, yeah, they're going to be breaking in a new starting quarterback, but, you know, they, they've got enough talent to where, you know, they're, they're going to give Ohio State an immediate test in that first game. They're, 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 Ohio State will probably face teams that are better offensively than Notre Dame by the end of a regular season, but Notre Dame, you know, could be the most complete team that Ohio State faces all year during a regular season. We just found out. Uh, in terms of a coach's poll, that that's going to be a top five matchup with Ohio State being ranked second and Notre Dame being ranked fifth. So certainly a, a huge test coming right out of the gates for o- Ohio State in that Notre Dame game. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the defense, everything like that for Ohio State, but obviously we did talk to a lot of guys on offense, you know, before Tuesday. And, and then perhaps the biggest question on offense for Ohio State, it is some of the the depth concerns on the offensive line because that's something we heard a lot of, you know, from Ryan Day during the spring. Of course, there was a couple of key injuries among some of those guys. If one if one guy goes down, you know, on the on the offensive line, you kind of wonder who's going to step up for the Buckeyes this season. We got to talk to guys like Josh Fryer, Zen Mahalski, you know, Enoch uh, Vimahi uh, the, the, uh, on on Monday here. And Dan, you know, what kind of stood out to you from hearing from from those guys? And do you feel like, you know, more more confident in the depth on the Ohio State offensive line and that the Ohio State coaching staff will, you know, also have more confidence in that group after hearing some of what those guys had to say this week? I mean, there seems to be, you know, four guys who are kind of emerging as backup offensive linemen that they have at least some level of confidence in, those being Josh Fryer, Zen Mahalski, Enoch Vamahi, and Jacob James. And so, you know, it feels, you know, pretty solid that those four guys are going to be on the two deep with Mahalski and Fryer likely being the backup tackles, Vamahi being one of the backup guards, and, and James being a backup center. And so, you know, it feels like that two deep is, is starting to come together there. You know, Josh Fryer, a guy who you know, I think could kind of be that six man this year, kind of like we saw with Matt Jones. Now, I don't I don't expect that they'll rotate him or anyone else in, you know, every game like Ohio State did with Matt Jones last year. I think, you know, the starting five barring injuries is pretty much solidified at this point. But, you know, you never know what can happen. So you really need, you know, I ideally you have at least one backup tackle, at least one backup guard, at least one backup center that you feel really good about. You know, it feels to me right now like, you know, the next guy in it tackle would be Josh Fryer. The next guy in it guard would be Enoch Bamahi. The next guy in it center would be Jacob James. Now, you know, the question is, okay, if something happens to Luke Whipler, do they slide Matt Jones over to center? And then does 
Enoch Magai come in at guard? Does you know could Josh Fryer? He played guard. Could Josh Fryer come in at guard? If something happens to one of the tackles, do they put Josh Fryer or Zen Mahalski in there at tackle, or do they slide Donovan Jackson over to tackle and put Enoch Vamahi in at guard? I mean, those things I I don't think we're really going to know unless until it actually happens. But you know, it feels like you know those four guys seem to be the guys that Ohio State feels the best about in terms of its backup offensive linemen, they're all unproven. So to, you know, to really say like, you know, feeling good or bad about the unit. I mean, I, I just don't know because we really haven't seen any of those guys play, but you know, those seem to be the guys that, you know, Ohio state feels the best about right now in terms of its backup offensive linemen. Yeah. Kind of what we were just talking about kind of feeds into something I thought was particularly interesting from uh, Zen Maholsky, which is that, Brian Day actually talked to those guys and said, "Like, listen, we are act, like we're we're concerned about the the depth of the of the offensive line." And Mahalski said that those some of those backup guys kind of came together and said, "Listen, we we have to step up. This can't be like last year where if somebody goes down, they're sliding positions all around everywhere." Of course, you'll remember, you know, guys like Thayer Munford that were playing guard. You know, if someone was to go down, then then Munford would, would back a tackle and things like that. You know, I, I think maybe they they would rather have a guy that can that can step up in that backup unit rather than having to slide guys around, you know, among the, the starting five, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes, you know, kind of coinciding with the, the offensive line storyline here is Ohio state's running back situation, which, you know, uh, maybe un- unlike the uh, offensive line, I think we, we know wh- where the depth stands with the Ohio state running back room. I think Tony Alford thinks very highly of, of just how stacked this position room is for Ohio state. Of course, Travion Henderson, holding down that that status as Ohio State's top running back, you know, considered one of the top running backs in the country returning this year as just a true sophomore. More interesting, though, than, than that is how Ohio State's going to use their second and third string running backs here with, with Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor, of course, coming on after taking a redshirt year last season. You know, both guys would love a, a bigger role. I think we'll definitely see a bigger role for Evan Pryor for sure. You kind of wonder where, where Mayan Williams is going to stand. He was telling us that He's kind of going to be that that third down power back. You would think that Evan Pryor is going to be used as, as, a, as a pass catcher and potential playmaker in the passing game out of that running back position as well. But, you know, at the same time, you just you you wonder how many carries they're going to take away from Travion Henderson based on what he was able to do last season. But I think at the same time, Dan, we, we saw Travion Henderson kind of run into some injury issues last season, come out of several games. And us kind of wonder, you know, oh, is he going to come back into the game? He's, he's going to the medical tent again. How much do you think Ohio State might try to preserve him by leaning on a guy like Mayan Williams, who his career average, I think, of 7.1 yards per carry. Like this, this is a guy that I think could be used as a feature back for Ohio State, you know, if they didn't have Trayvon Henderson and, and not have a lot of issues there. So, Dan, what's your kind of take on on that battle with the running backs and what you heard from those guys? Yeah, I agree with that on Mayan. You know, I, I agree that Evan Pryor will have a bigger role because he had 21 carries and played in four games last year. The question is, how much bigger of a role? I mean, are we going to see Evan Pryor play real snaps on offense in every game, or is he going to be is it going to be more hit or miss with how much he plays? And I, you know, I think I mean I've, I say it every off season. I, I think I've already said it this off season. You know, I think what's interesting to me or what I wonder most about those running backs is you know 
it feels like a lot of times Ohio State is just kind of rotative of running backs in a way of, hey, you play one series, you play the next series. And I feel like with these three guys in particular, because they all have their specific skill sets, you know, are we going to see more of a concerted effort to put specific running backs on the field in specific situations? You know, in third and short, are they going to put Mayan Williams in to go get those tough yards between the tackles? On third and long, are they going to put Evan Pryor in because he is more of a pass-catching threat out of a backfield? Like, that's what I would like to see more of from Ohio State's running backs this year because I think all three of those guys are really talented, and I think all three of them can help Ohio State. But I also don't think it makes sense to, like, Unless unless he needs a breather or you're specifically trying to take keep him fresh, like it probably doesn't make sense to just take Henderson out of a game for two series in the middle of the game to give Mayan a series and Evan a series, right? Like I, I think ideally you want to kind of mix and match those guys to put them in the situations where they can help you the most with, you know, Travion being that feature back. You know, Mayan kind of being that guy when you really need to get those those, those tough yards and prior being that guy who gives you more out of a backfield. Now, you know, you have to mix it up in a way where it's not telegraphing when one running back's in the game, this is what they're going to do. But I also think that, you know, you can make a concerted effort to put those guys in positions where they're going to be able to utilize their skill sets best. Dan, I know a lot of fans are going to, you know, ask us kind of what we've actually observed and seen at practices themselves. I know that's, you know, we've talked about that as well in terms of, you know, there's not always a lot to see because they don't want us to see, you know, some of these schematic things and, and exactly who the the starters are right now and the backups, everything like that. But is there anything that's specifically caught your eye that you've gleaned from practice and kind of has been, a, a big takeaway for you so far? Nothing groundbreaking, really. I mean, you know, I know everybody wants us to tell them how, how does CJ Stroud look in practice? I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't really pay attention to how CJ Stroud looked in practice because CJ Stroud's the starting quarterback and, you know, he broke records in his most recent start. And so to me, I'll be paying more attention to CJ Stroud in the actual games. I'll be paying more attention to Jackson Smith and Jigba in, in the actual, actual games. I think, you know, usually when we're out there at practices, I'm kind of more trying to pay attention to, you know, anything we can glean about the depth chart or, you know, any, anything that might look different from what we've seen in past years. And, you know, I don't know if we've really seen enough to really be able to say, you know, a whole lot about that. You know, I, I know that we are supposed to see at least a portion of two more practices between now and next week's episode of Real Pod Wednesday. So I'm hopeful that we might get to see longer portions of practice and then, you know, be able to kind of have some more observations to share on next week's episode. I, you know, I, again, they're, they're probably not going to show us anything that's going to give away any groundbreaking secrets because they don't want to help Notre Dame game plan. But, you know, I, I am hoping that we might get to see you know, some more stuff that, you know, at least maybe on an individual player basis might be able to give us, you know, more of an idea of, you know, what certain guys are standing out or, you know, really making a, a move right now. 
And then I'll, I'll give some some love to the Ohio State defensive line since we haven't really talked about them much so far in terms of what I've seen from practice. Talk about a, a group that has a ton of depth, like we talked about, you know, at safety and things like that. You know, just just watching those guys go through drills and there's like you know three lines of guys that have potential starters in them, right? And and I think one guy that will be interesting to watch this season is Tyler Friday, who you know is coming back after missing all of last year, a veteran in this program, a guy that you talk about a guy that that's, you know, just ridiculously jacked. Tyler Friday definitely fits that description. We've heard some good things about him from the coaching staff as well. I think Ryan Day was kind of talking him up, you know, can he contribute for the Buckeyes this season? Seeing him out there with some of those other guys, you know, definitely makes you wonder what what that group's capable of. And we heard from Jim Knowles on Tuesday that that's really been a bright spot for the defense is the, the impact that those guys have had in terms of getting after the quarterback and, and knocking the the offensive line back for the Ohio State offense. Yeah, Tyler Friday's definitely been getting some love to where it does feel like, you know, he he's a guy that can easily get forgotten in that defensive end group with Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer and JT Tweemolowal. But, you know, the way that the coaches have talked about Tyler Friday does make you think that, you know, there's going to be a role of him of some sorts. You know, another guy that, you know, has been talked up that, you know, caught my attention is, is Julian Fleming because, uh, Ohio State released its iron list of iron Buckeyes last week for the offseason. Those are the guys who, you know, basically were the top performers in offseason workouts. And, you know, Tyler Friday, who you just mentioned, was on that list. Uh, Cade Stover, Tommy Eichenberg, uh, Cam Babb, who I know everybody's excited to see out there doing well. He was on there. Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams at safety were on there. And Julian Fleming was on there. And Ryan Day said that Julian Fleming has had. Uh, the best offseason he's had to this point. C.J. Stroud said that Julian Fleming is the most motivated and the most mature that he's ever seen Julian. And so, you know, obviously Julian's one of those guys that, you know, I've I've probably been a bit skeptical at times of, of certain things that we've heard about Julian just because, you know, he hasn't, you know, played a lot these first two years. He, he's dealt with his share of injuries, but it feels like there's some real momentum there for him now. Like it feels like, he, he's turning a corner and, you know, we know that, you know, there's a competition there for that third starting spot at receiver between him and Emeka Abuka. And, you know, I think both those guys are going to play one way or another. And I'd still probably lean at this second toward Emeka Abuka being that third starting receiver with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. But certainly if Julian Fleming can break through and stay healthy and become that five-star player that he's always been expected to be, it, it just adds another huge boost to an already loaded offense. And it feels like he is making actual strides toward that becoming a possibility this year. Yeah, Ryan Day has kind of said that he, he has a better feel for this team in general, Dan, given the experience that comes back, particularly on defense. I mean, obviously on offense as well, but you know, going into last season with all the uncertainties, you know, a quarterback that had never thrown a pass in a real game before, a lot of question marks in terms of personnel and defense. It certainly seems like like Ryan Day has, you know, a, a more of a handle on where this team might be able to go this season. We've also heard Dan Ryan Day coin a couple new catchphrases. It seems like every year there's there's a there's a couple of those where Ryan Day kind of sticks on a couple of phrases all season long. This season, Dan, we've gotten a lot of of talk about competitive stamina from Ryan Day. And we've also got a lot of talk about calluses and te the, the team, you know, having callus from uh, having those calluses from some losses last year, but also needing to build that callus, you know, in preseason camp and things of that nature. Which dayism, Dan, do you prefer 
<laughs> going into 2022? I think the word callous, I mean, I actually had to look up like how to spell that because I think one of us had spelled it C-A-L-L-O-U-S initially. And that's that's like the the adjective for like something being like harsh. But the, the word for like a, a physical callous is C-A-L-L-U-S. So I, I, I will admit I had to look that up because it's not a word that we use very often, but Ryan Day has been using it in every press conference. So I'm, I'm, I, I have a feeling that if he says the word callous again on Thursday, Griffin and I will probably give each other a little, a little look and a laugh because that, that is one that we've heard from Ryan a lot this year to the point that I imagine it's being used a lot with the team as well. Yeah, one, one particularly cringeworthy dayism the other day was when he said something about, you know, this team has a lot of scars from the games they lost last season. They've got a lot of stars on their chest from the games they've won, but they've also got scars. That one, I think, made a, a couple of us in the media probably roll our eyes a little bit. But, you know, it is what it is. Dan, moving on here, uh, some some big news that, that broke on Monday night. Now, we've been hearing a lot about the media rights package deals and things of that nature from the Big Ten. Of course, how the the West Coast expansion of the Big Ten with, with USC and UCLA joining the fold in a couple of years here, how that might impact the value of the Big Ten's you know, media rights packages and things like that. So, so what we learned was, you know, in, in part that CBS, NBC are going to replace ESPN as as TV partners with the Big Ten. Dan, I know you, you wrote more in depth about this. Could you, could you fill us in more on some of the details surrounding, you know, what this kind of means and maybe the, the total value financially of this deal as well and what it might mean for fans moving forward? Yeah, nothing is official yet, but, you know, based on what's been reported by, you know, multiple outlets, John Oren from Sports Business Journal was the first one to report this on Monday night. And that's that, you know, CBS and NBC will be replacing ESPN as the Big Ten's secondary TV partners. Fox is going to remain the primary partner. They locked that deal in quite some time ago, and they've actually been involved in these negotiations, which is kind of weird. It's got to be weird if you're an executive from CBS or Disney or NBC and you're negotiating with people from Fox, your, your competitor. So kind of a weird process there. But, you know, basically, you know, what, what, what's been reported is, you know, at least CBS is going to pay $350 million a year for its B package of games, which CBS is going to the free 30 slot that's currently an SEC game slot. The SEC is about to become exclusive with ESPN next year. And so the Big Ten will take over that slot on CBS in the afternoon. The NBC, NBC, which I would presume is probably paying a similar amount, maybe even a little bit more for their package, they're going to have the primetime slot. And so it's actually, I, I saw, I think it was Football Scoop that wrote something about this, and I hadn't thought of it this way until I read it, but I thought it was a good point that the Big Ten's TV distribution next year could actually look a lot like the NFL's TV distribution because they're going to have games on Fox and CBS in, in the afternoon, and then they're going to have a game on NBC at night on Saturday. And so, you know, I think for the Big Ten, I mean, you're talking about a, a ton of national exposure in terms of, the idea of potentially, you know, based on what they're trying to negotiate, potentially having three exclusive windows on national networks every Saturday with a game on Fox at noon, a game on on CBS at 3.30, a game on NBC at night. Again, 
you know, most things have not been officially announced yet. You know, NBC obviously has Notre Dame that, it, that it's got to work with. And, you know, there's always the question, okay, now that NBC is working with the Big Ten, could that potentially lead to Notre Dame eventually joining the Big Ten? We'll, we'll see on that. But, you know, I think, you know, certainly for the Big Ten, I mean, we know it's going to be good for them financially. All, all indications are that this deal in total value is going to be well over a billion dollars per year. So it's going to be great for the 16 schools that will be in the Big Ten as of 2024 financially. You know, certainly I think, you know, having those, you know, three national potential exclusive windows every weekend is going to be big for the Big Ten. It's still weird, though, to think of ESPN not having any Big Ten football. I mean, it's weird to think of that and you know, I think the, the thing that I do wonder is, I, you know, we, we were asked the question by B07841 about can the Big Ten support, you know, three national network games a week? I, th- I think that is a valid question because, you know, I saw a lot of jokes last night, like, you know, people are thinking about like, you know, the SEC on CBS it is right now. And a year from now, that's going to be, you know, Northwestern versus Rutgers, you know, I mean, probably not going to be a lot of Northwestern Rutgers games in those slots, but you know, I do wonder like, okay, are there really going to be three big 10 games every week that like are truly worthy of that national time slot on a, on a major network? I think, I mean, I think Ohio state's going to be playing in those slots a lot, which, you know, I think they're all going to be happy to broadcast Ohio state games. I I do think it, it, it's fair to say it might be a stretch to find three games every week, big 10 games that are like big ticket national network games. But, you know, for the big 10 to secure that makes a lot of sense. I, I think the one thing I wonder of losing ESPN is, what's the coverage going to look like for the other games? Because you know, ESPN, they've got ESPN2, they've got ESPN+. Plus. You know, some of these other networks don't have as much of that. You know, one, one thing that has been reported is that you know, NBC's deal will likely include games on Peacock. So you know, if you want to see every Big Ten game next year, you're probably going to have to start subscribing to Peacock if you don't already. It has been reported that you know, streaming rights have not been finalized yet so it's still possible amazon or apple tv could get involved in that market but you know it seems likely that some games are going to be streaming exclusive with this new deal because you know nbc no longer has nbc sports network you know cbs sports network is not really a big player you know fox does have fs1 which is certainly going to have big 10 games and of course big 10 network is certainly going to have games but you know when you figure where this conference is going in a couple of years, you're going to have at least eight conference games a week when you're in that conference, you know, portion of, of the season. I, I do wonder a little bit like how this new deal will, you know, how distribution of those other games will work in this deal and whether, you know, an ESPN that's got kind of a robust, you know, ESPN plus and, and streaming through all that. You know, I, I, I do wonder if that part of it will be good for the fans. And then, of course, you know, there's the whole question of if the ESPN is no longer a Big Ten rights holder, is the ES, is ESPN not going to cover the Big Ten the same way it does now? You know, I, you know, and I don't really want to get into the whole SEC bias ESPN thing because I don't I'm not personally someone who believes that is anywhere near the thing that some some people and probably many of our listeners think it is. But 
I also think it's fair to wonder, is that going to become a more real thing now that ESPN doesn't have Big Ten rights? Because I think of like the NHL, for example, when the ESPN lost NHL rights, if you could watch SportsCenter, and a lot of times they wouldn't even acknowledge the NHL during the season, now they show NHL more. So it is probably fair to expect that a year from now, ESPN is probably going to prioritize showing SEC highlights over showing Big Ten highlights. And I do think I do think ESPN still has an important place in terms of shaping the national the national narrative of sports. And so certainly seeing the details of this deal adds some perspective to why if you talk to Kevin Warren, if you talk to Gene Smith, both of them are adamant that college football playoff can't happen without bidding being opened up for multiple network partners. Because if you're Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, and you know Ohio State isn't going to be playing regular season games on ESPN anymore, you don't want ESPN to have full control of the college football playoff uh, and, and its broadcasting. And so certainly I think the push that's already been there from Big Ten leaders for the college football playoff to be opened up to multiple TV partners, that push is only going to increase now with the Big Ten wanting, whether it be Fox or NBC or CBS, to also have a share of the pie when the college football playoff does ultimately expand. On the recruiting side of things, Dan, Ohio State landed its first linebacker in the 2023 class over the weekend. Cleveland's, you know, Glenville's Arvell Reese, which was a, an important land because, of course, Ohio State recently missed out on Tackett Curtis and Troy Bowles, some of their top you know, targets at that position in that class. Reese, the 20th ranked linebacker in the class, according to the 247 Sports Composite, ranks number 277 in the country. Overall, four-star prospect and the seventh rated linebacker in the state of Ohio. Any other thoughts on Reese's commitment, Dan? Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly an important commitment. I think he was pretty much a must get for Ohio State after they missed out on Taggett Curtis and Troy Bowles because they haven't really been heavily linked to any other linebackers who are uncommitted right now. So certainly, I think, you know, they, they could try to add another linebacker to the class, but, you know, Reese was really the guy that, that they had to get at this point. And so, you know, they, they, he was originally planning to commit in either November or December. Ohio State pushed him to kind of speed up that timeline, and he ultimately obliged making his commitment on Saturday. So they're certainly glad to have him in the fold, certainly glad to get that Glenville pipeline going again. And it's only going to help their push for Bryce West, one of their top targets in the 2024 class at cornerback, who's also from Glenville. A lot of people think he'll ultimately end up being a Buckeye, and there's no question that Arvell Reese is going to be in his corner trying to push him to become a Buckeye now that he is committed to Ohio State. Daniel wants to know if Dijon Johnson, the Tampa Tampa cornerback prospect in the class of 2023, you know, who committed to Ohio State recently, decommitted to Ohio State, um, a top 100 prospect in the country. Will he be on the Ohio State roster next season? There's been some rumors that he was going to recommit. A lot of crystal balls, though, have him going to Florida, of staying in in his home state. Dan, I don't think we we have the answer to this right now, but do you have a feeling one way or the other on that topic? 
Yeah, that one seems to be very much in flux because it seemed like when he decommitted from Ohio State that it was almost a done deal for him to go to Florida because he had just spent multiple days there. And so it seemed like all momentum was heading toward Florida. And then over the past week, it seemed like momentum flipped back to Ohio State and that you know there was a chance he could recommit to Ohio State as soon as this past weekend. And then for one reason or another, that didn't happen. And so I think that one's kind of in flux right now. You know, I think from Ohio State's side of things, they'd love to have him in the class, but they also don't want him to recommit again unless he is 100% sure he wants to be a Buckeye. They, they don't, they don't want to go back and forth and play the game of committing, decommitting, committing, decommitting. You know, Ryan Day has, has said several times this year that you know, he, he really wants guys, once they're committed, to shut down their recruitment and not go visit anywhere else. It's easier said than done. We have seen, you know, a few different guys go and visit elsewhere. Obviously, Ty Lockwood was another one. He went ahead and immediately flipped to Alabama. I think with Dijon, it's still kind of up in the air. I think Ohio State's still recruiting him. You know, I think there's there's still a chance for sure that Dijon will end up back at Ohio state. But I think right now, you know, that that's very much in limbo. I mean, I think Ohio state would, would love to sign four cornerbacks next year because of what we talked about at the top of a show with Ohio state's cornerback depth and numbers, not being where Ohio state would typically like it to be right now. But, you know, I, I think that's just one of those situations they're going to have to let play out. You know, I think the fact that Ohio state doesn't have any, clear cut other targets at cornerback right now of guys that are still uncommitted, you know, probably allows them to let that one play out a little bit longer, but you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think, I think there's, I think he's, I think a lot of it is him really weighing. Do I want to go far away from home? Does, does go, you know, does going to Ohio state make sense for me right now? Or, or should I stay close to home and, and go to Florida? And I think, you know, that that's something he's ultimately going to have to make a decision on before he ultimately chooses what school he's going to attend. Cairo Buck wants to know, obviously, we, we know a lot about the offense, all the hype for the offense. What about who will be the breakout stars on defense for the Buckeyes and who ends up defensive MVP? Dan, I'm going to throw this name out here because we we haven't talked about him a lot today in terms of our, our preseason talk for the Ohio State. Jim Knowles said on Tuesday that Josh Proctor, obviously coming back from that leg fracture suffered week two against Oregon last year, could be the best in the country at safety. Dan, that was that was pretty high praise, I would say. And after him kind of saying that, you know, I, I'm kind of looking for Josh Proctor to really have that breakout season that we, we thought he might have last year, you know, in that role as starting free safety. Obviously, this year, not playing quite that position with Ronnie Hickman being the adjuster safety for a Jim Knowles' defense. I'm going to say Josh Proctor as you know, a breakout star, even though he's a name we've, we've obviously known for several years now for Ohio State, still hasn't truly had that breakout success. I'm circling that name personally. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, certainly Josh Proctor is a, a guy to watch, is a guy who could have a big year. But when I think of defensive MVP, I'm going to go with another safety. I'm going to go with Ronnie Hickman. I, I think Ronnie Hickman is a guy who, you know, was Ohio State's best defender last year. And, and I think he's going to take his game to a new level this year. I think playing that free safety position, I think he's a guy who's going to really, really be the linchpin at the back end of that defense. And a guy who, you know, if 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 Ohio State's defense is going to be that elite unit that they say they expect to be, I, I think Hickman's going to play a major role in that. So, 
I'm going with Ronnie Hickman right now as the guy who I think is going to be the defensive MVP. Rick Rocket wants to know our expectations for Buckeye alumni across the shield, that being the, the NFL shield, of course, as NFL preseason kicks off, you know, in full swing here in a minute. Obviously, there's a ton of names, you know, growing every year. J.K. Dobbins coming back from, from missing all of last season. I think everyone wants to know what Justin Fields can do with the Bears. Can he step things up? After you know a hit or miss last season, we'll say Garrick Hodge will be paying close attention to that that storyline for sure. Dan, one thing I've I've seen on Twitter today or in the past couple of days is some praise for Jeff Okuda. You know, with the Lions and everything like that. I've, I saw one reporter saying that he's consistently been the the top cornerback for the Lions. Of course, he suffered a big injury last season. He's a guy to be looking out for. Obviously, was drafted very highly a few seasons ago. Hasn't necessarily lived up to that to this point. But it sounds like there's a lot of excitement for what he can do, you know, entering the season of the NFL. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly if you're just talking about guys going to be watching in a preseason, I mean, certainly Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be at the top of the list to, you know, see what they can do for their teams. You know, what, what, what kind of plays they can make, you know, you know, a lot of the veterans, you know, probably not going to be watching them, you know, too closely during the the preseason. But I think, you know, those are a couple guys, you know, certainly Jeff Okuda is another guy that you know, is, is a good one to mention of a guy who hasn't had the start of his career that you'd expect, but, you know, maybe this is the year that it all comes together for him. You know, another guy I'm going to be interested to see just based on what I've been reading about him is, is CJ Saunders, that there's been a lot of talk that he's had a really good camp for the Panthers and he's been, you know, taking a lot of first team reps as their slot receiver. So I'm going to be really interested if I watch any of the Panthers preseason games to see, how much is he out there and, and how does he do? Because there seems to be some real buzz for him to, you know, not only make the Panthers roster, but but play a significant role in the Panthers offense this year. And I don't know how many people would have believed that a couple of years ago when he was, you know, denied his extra year of eligibility at Ohio State and he was working as a grad assistant. And now we're talking about a guy who's at least in a mix to potentially be a starting NFL slot receiver. So a uh, pretty cool story there and, and going to be very interested to see if CJ can continue to build on that, you know, as we get closer to the actual season. Dan, we were over at Hyatt Place in Grandview on Sunday to, to you know, take in the festivities for a hotel check-in at the start of, you know, fall camp. It was actually the first time I had ever done that before, just with, you know, COVID and everything like that the past, you know, couple of seasons and everything. Yeah, not too thrilling, I will say, for my, my first time, but, you know, interesting nonetheless. In terms of interesting outfits and things of that nature, you, you had a Zach Herbstreet and Toby Wilson with kind of a Miami Vice look going on. Lloyd Lloyd McFarquhar showing up in a Winnie the Pooh onesie. That was pretty interesting. But Dan, as far as my the best outfit, I'm actually going to go with Paris Johnson with an ode to the late Dwayne Haskins wearing a shirt to pay tribute to him. That's going to be my pick my sentimental pick for best outfit from hotel chicken. Yeah. All, all three of those were great. You know, I thought, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba showing up wearing his, his brother's Jersey was, was pretty cool too. You know, shows you what uh, his, his brother means to him. But yeah. I also enjoyed Josh Fryer's shirt. It was the, the state bird of Indiana is Larry. So that was a clever shirt as well. So it's always fun to see what guys will wear to that event as they've come to embrace that event. I think Mason Arnold, the walk-on long snapper, wore a drunk Tom Brady shirt from the Super Bowl celebration after Brady won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. So lots of clever shirts and and props to props to all those guys for 
having some fun with what is admittedly a, a pretty weird thing that the Ohio State beat stands outside their hotel to take paparazzi photos of them. I think uh, some of them in, enjoy it more than others, but I, I think we all appreciate the guys who actually do embrace it and have fun with it. So shout out to all those guys who, you know, you know, had fun and enjoyed the moment. And we'll quickly quickly wrap up here with some basketball talk as we normally do on Real Pod of Wednesdays. A, a huge week in recruiting for Chris Holman, Jake Diebler. I have to mention Jake Diebler's name because he is com- very instrumental, a vital cog in, in Ohio State's recruiting efforts. You know, oftentimes the players will, will cite his name, so I can't leave him out of there when we talk about the Ohio State recruiting stuff. Holman and Diebler and, and the rest of the Buckeye staff landing Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton in the class of 2023 this past week in the span of like what four or five days. Devin Royal being, you know, one of the, the top priority targets for that class for a long time, a Pickerington Central product, the first Columbus area product, the first true local product of Chris Holman's tenure at Ohio State, uh, the, a top 75 player in the country. And then Scotty Middleton as well, being the now the highest rated player in that four man 2023 class, ranked number 34 in the country, I believe, according to 247 Sports. ESPN has him as, as a five star prospect as well the highest rated prospect in any one class in terms of the 247 ranking since DJ Carton in 2019. You know, that class now ascending to number three in the country. And I wrote a piece about the fact that, you know, first of all, the, the Dukes and Kentuckys of the world, you know, sometimes will will close out the, the year with landing some of those big five-star guys and things of that nature. So the class might not stay at number three in the country for the Buckeyes in 2023, but it certainly seems, you know, trending towards the fact that Ohio State might have back-to-back top 10 nationally ranked classes with this past year's 2022 class, I think standing at like number eight in the country or something, if you look at those rankings right now. So when you look at that, Dan, I think, you know, things are definitely trending up as far as Ohio State's momentum on the recruiting trail, to say the least. Yeah, that's what they need. I and mean, that's what they need is, to, you know, to put together a couple of, you know, really strong recruiting classes back to back and kind of, you know, build up some young talent in the program. Obviously, they don't have a lot of returning talent from last year and so they need you know to kind of string together a couple you know really good classes back to back build up that talent and that gives you the chance to build up that kind of roster that you know will give Ohio State a chance to make that deep run in March that everybody's been waiting for them to see and so now you have to actually go do it on the court but certainly you know this is uh, the first step that's needed to go get you know guys like Devin Royal I mean certainly a guy like Devin Royal, that those are the kind of recruiting battles you have to win if you're Ohio State. A guy from right in your backyard in Pickerington Central, a guy who really rose up the recruiting ranks over the last year to become a top 75 prospect. Those are the kind of recruiting battles you have to win. And I think I think Michigan State was very much in that one. And, and Ohio State was able to pull it off. So, you know, a big win for Chris Holtman there. And then, I mean, Anytime you can pull a guy out of Kansas, especially when it's a guy who's a borderline five-star recruit, that's a pretty big recruiting win. So for for Ohio State to be able to go and and get Scotty Middleton out of Kansas's backyard and pair him with Devin Royal, you know, I I think, you know, again, we we talked about a little bit last week that, you know, Ohio State really is trying to build a wing-heavy roster of a lot of versatile players who can play on the perimeter, who can guard different positions. And I mean, you look at what they're doing in this class, they've already got two guys like that, I think now, and Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton, potentially maybe even at a third as they're still recruiting Dalen Swain from Afrocentric. And 
you know, not sure, you know, beyond Swain, how much they really would be pushing to add a fifth member to that class. But if they can get Dale and Swain and pair him with Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton, plus as well as George Washington at guard and, and Austin Parks at center, you know, I think that would be an excellent class for, I think it already is an excellent class. If you could get Dale and Swain, that would be the cherry on top to really, you know, lock in two fantastic classes in a row for Ohio State. Yeah, Dan Swain putting Ohio State in his top five this past Friday. And if they did land Swain, first of all, Washington, Royal, and Swain were all new teammates for all Ohio Red this past summer. And that would give Ohio State, after, of course, Washington moving from, from Louisville to Dayton over the offseason because of his dad taking a a women's college basketball coaching job. That would give Ohio State four of the top five recruits in Ohio, which would be you know extremely impressive for Ohio State to keep some of that talent, the homegrown talent, you know, in Columbus there. And then of course, what we need to touch on as well before we close out here, Ohio State obviously went to the Bahamas this past week on their summer trip to take on Egypt and Puerto Rico in two exhibition games. We didn't get to actually watch these games live and in person or on TV or any type of stream or anything like that, but. You know, the program itself put out a lot of updates and, and also shout out to Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch for, for being there in person as well. Ohio State went 2-0 and in those games, both of them single digit margins of victory. However, you know, it, it sounded like from what I heard and read that Bryce Sensabaugh scored, you know, a lot of points and that guys like Zed Key, Bruce Thornton, Isaac Likely and Roddy Gale all made some big plays in, in, in those games as well. Experimented with some lineups and starting the starting fives for each game. But I think a good sign that they pulled out those those wins, even if you know, we weren't able to actually see exactly how they went down. Yeah, I think it's a great sign. I think, you know, to have so many guys that are, are new and just learning to play together. And, you know, I, you know, I, it's hard to say. I think sometimes when we talk about them playing like a national team in these events, I think maybe that's overstating it a little bit because it's not necessarily the best players from those countries playing against o- o- Ohio State, at least not all of them. But nevertheless, I mean, that's Ohio State playing against guys who are professional basketball players you know, as a bunch of college kids. And to go in there and, and win both of those games, it sounded like the Puerto Rico game was, you know, very much kind of a back and forth affair. And Ohio State found a way to pull that one out in the end. And, you know, we saw last year Ohio State had a lot of those close games. They didn't always go Ohio State's way. And so I think that's encouraging, you know, just to see those signs and, I mean, you know, I'm you know I'm on the, the Bryce Sensabaugh train. Uh, I mean, I just just keep that that train just keeps picking up speed, picking up momentum. It just seems like everything we hear about Bryce Sensabaugh, we just keep we just keep hearing more and more good things about him. So consider me very much on on Team Sensabaugh going into this year. I I said it before. I'll, I'll say it again. I think Bryce Sensabaugh is going to be the highest scoring freshman on the team this year, and. The, the way that the way that we, we just keep hearing about him, I mean, I'm reading Adam Jardy's story, I believe from the Egypt game, it, it did make the Dwayne Washington comparison make sense because it said sense about tied for the team lead, but on a team high 14 shots, including 10 threes. So that does sound like something Dwayne Washington would have done. And I know from talking to Chris Holtman last week, it did sound like maybe Bryce's defense isn't quite where it needs to be yet. So he's probably a guy who maybe this year is going to help them more on the offensive end than the defensive end. But, you know, I think offensively, he's a guy who's going to make an instant impact for Ohio State and who I'm really expecting big things from this year. Yeah, he might just lead the entire team in scoring. I mean, 
the, for, for everything about him and, and not knowing what you know just assuming health status is you know fans aren't going to want to hear that but you know that that is what it is you know not knowing how, how what his situation truly is like you know he might just lead the entire team in scoring this season i mean i would not be shocked to see that either so a lot of interesting things to watch on the ohio state basketball side of things and maybe we'll get to see more of a real practice in the coming months here to see you know to get our own analysis since we were not in the bahamas yeah, I feel like we should have left ourselves a little more time to talk about basketball because it was a really big week for Ohio State basketball this past week. But football season is right around the corner. Preseason camp rolls on. More uh, practice windows that are going to be open to us. More media availabilities over the next week. So we're going to have plenty more to talk about on the preseason camp front and continue to look ahead to the season as we are now well within a month of Ohio State's season opener against Notre Dame. And so we're going to keep on counting down to that and continue talking to you guys about everything we learned from our trips to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center over the next week when we join you again next week on Real Pod Wednesdays. So thanks for tuning in and hope you have a great rest of your week.